You're listening to the sermon podcast of Galveston Bible Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit galvestonbible.org. But mostly, from wherever you're listening, we hope that the Lord ministers to you through this week's message. I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles this morning to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, we'll be looking at verses 15 through 23. Uh, Every week I'm trying to provide these, if you haven't gotten one. Uh, They are right there on that table, Uh, so grab one right now. These are the scripture references that we go through. Um, I'm not going to ask you to turn to all of them, but you'll know where we are, and so in case you want to reference them afterwards. The question might arise, there is a lot of them today, Uh, and so uh, why so many? And here's my rationale. Uh, We're in the study of God's Word, and God's Word is the best interpreter of God's Word, and so... When I say something, I want to say, does the Bible back this up? And so hopefully uh, you will see that it does. And also, uh, in a 45-minute sermon, uh, if I'm quoting God directly, then that's less of a chance that I'm going to be able to mess up. Okay, so uh, that's why we have a lot of scripture references, uh, because this is the very word of God that brings life. And so Ephesians chapter 1. Verses 15 through 23 is what we're going to be looking at today. What we've been doing for the last couple weeks is we've been looking at this amazing prayer of Paul's. In verses 3 through 14 of chapter 1, or 14 of chapter 1, we saw the amazing blessings that we have in Christ. Uh, Namely, that we have been forgiven from all of our sins and made right with God. That we have been adopted into the family of God. And there's no greater family in the, in the universe. But we've been adopted into the family of God as children, and we have, a, we have full access uh, to an inheritance now and one day in the future, the fullness of that inheritance. And so Paul is talking about these amazing uh, blessings that we have. And he's going to continue to talk about them in Ephesians chapter 2 and chapter 3. But he stops and he prays. And his prayer is a prayer of thanksgiving to God for them. He's just saying, I'm so thankful to God for your faith in the Lord Jesus and for the love that I see you displaying towards all of God's people. And then he also prays that they would have a full understanding of everything that he is sharing with them. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. Let me read this. This is the very word of God, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all 
You hear all, all, fullness, fullness, these superlatives. Like he is trying to communicate these wonderful truths of God uh, in mere human language. And so uh, let's pray uh, before we dive into this. Father, we thank and praise you for your word. Um, Holy Spirit, do what you need to in our lives. I beg of you that you would help me to get this, that you would help everyone in here to get this, to truly, truly get these wonderful truths. And I pray that we would then live accordingly. Uh, be with me today as I speak. Uh, be with your people as they listen. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. And I pray if there's anyone here uh, in this building or watching online that doesn't know you, I pray that your Holy Spirit would open their hearts to receive you. I just pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> I was introduced to a, uh, a movie entitled Goodwill Hunting uh, in a counseling class in seminary. I do not recommend the movie uh, simply because it's got a lot of strong language in there. Uh, but there, it's a, uh, there's a powerful scene at the end uh, that I really want to talk about. But um, So Will is the main character and he is a troubled youth like he is in his either late teens and early 20s somewhere around there and he is just in in and out of, of of prison and stuff like that and the reason is because he has been severely abused as a child he, he uh, his he's been bounced from foster care home to foster care home removed uh, from each one because of severe physical abuse and so he finally gets in trouble, he, he hits a cop and he's going to jail. But the other thing about Will is that he is off the chart intelligent. I mean, whatever he sees, he remembers. Whatever he reads, he remembers. And he is just um, amazing at mathematics, doing uh, problems that even uh, math professors can't even do. And so one of the professors sees this and he learns about Will and he doesn't want him to go to jail. But the judge says the only way that you can stay out of jail is if you actually go through uh, therapy sessions, through counseling sessions uh, that satisfy the demands of the court. And so they, they try to hook him up with some uh, uh, psychiatrists and everyone he just makes so angry that they just say, I don't want to deal with this guy. I don't want to deal with this guy uh, because he knows more than them. He's, he's read more than them. He, under, he comprehends it and he just plays with them. And so finally, he, he comes across this counselor named Sean, who really sees through um, all of Will's like walls and stuff like that and really starts to make some headway with him. And so it goes through the whole movie, and he's making more and more progress, and then it comes to the final session. And Will's standing there in his office. This is it. And, and Will kind of jokingly says, so is that it? Did I pass? You know, kind of like, am I going to stay out of jail? type of thing and he's like what's the diagnosis is it will has some detachment disorder or something and sean the psychiatrist the counselor kind of chuckles and say yeah says yeah something like that and then sean gets really serious and picks up the file with all of the reported abuse that will has gone through with the pictures of the abuse the graphic pictures of the abuse that he went through and he looks will in the eye and he says will all this stuff it's not your fault and Will's like, I know, I, I know. And Sean gets a little bit closer and says, no, it's not your fault. I, I, I know, I know. And he keeps getting closer. Will, it's not your fault. And then Will is just 
quiet. And you can see him seething with anger as he's thinking about all that, has, that he's gone through. And, and thinking, there's always that thing that's saying that it's your fault. You, you deserve to be abused. And he keeps saying, Sean keeps getting closer and closer. It's not your fault. He says, son, it's not your fault. And he gets right up in his face. And Will just pushes him back and says, don't mess with me, Sean. Not you. Don't mess with me. And Sean gets closer and says, it's not your fault. And then finally, Will just breaks down and loses it and just falls into Sean's arm and cries like a baby. What had happened is that he knew intellectually that it wasn't his fault, but it hadn't gotten into his heart. He didn't know it experientially. And that's what happened. And the walls came down and the implication of the movie is that Will was then liberated from that bondage. He knew it at a heart level. And I believe in a similar way that this is what Paul is praying for here. Paul has just laid out fact after fact of what God has done for them, about how God views them. But he knows that a mere intellectual knowledge of these facts mean absolutely nothing if it doesn't get to your heart. They mean nothing. They have to, the, the, the Ephesians believers and we, they have to, as Paul says in Romans 10, believe in their hearts. Believe in their hearts. It has to get from the head to the heart. I think of Martin Luther. Martin Luther probably studied the Bible more than anyone. And he knew, I mean, he could, he, he could probably quote all of the scriptures, but it hadn't made it to his heart. He knew intellectually, he knew what it said, but he hadn't experienced it. And then one day, the Holy Spirit opened his heart, and, and Martin Luther said it was like the gates of heaven were open, and I walked through knowing that I was right with God. And because of that, many came to faith in Jesus because of his powerful testimony and his message. Last week, I had breakfast with a, a man um, who knew a lot of facts about the Bible. I mean, I was amazed as he was talking. He's like, this and this. And I'm like, whoa, my goodness, how do you know all this stuff? And, and, and he just talked on and on for like 10 minutes. And then I finally just said, I get that all. But do you know Jesus? Do you love Jesus? And he clammed up. He froze. And at one point, he even walked away. Like it was like he was trying to cover his lack of relationship with all of the things that he knew. It did not make it to his heart. And so Paul is on his knees and he's praying to God for them that they would get it. I mean, truly get it. Not memorize these things and just stick in their head, but truly get it. Satan does not want us to know these things. He does not want us to really know these things because once we know them, it changes everything. And he does not want that. I mentioned Daniel's words last week where Daniel said that the people who know their God will stand firm and take action. The people who know their God. We're not talking about intellectual facts about God, but truly knowing God. Therefore, therefore, Paul prays that the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened and that the light bulb of understanding would come on and that they would get this stuff. 
He prays specifically for three main areas of illumination found in verses 18 and 19. He says this, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. This morning we are going to focus in on the power that is available to us. Before we do that, I want to briefly just recap uh, what we talked about last week. The first thing that Paul prays for is that they would have understanding to the fact of the amazing privilege that they have been called into the family of God. He wants them to get this, the call into the family of God. Think about this. I know that you've heard this many, many times before, and I just want you to get it. Pray that you get this, that the God of this universe, uh, the one who made everything and sustains everything, the one who is more beautiful and more glorious and more wealthy and more powerful than any other being, called you to be included in his family. That's crazy, right? Really? Is that really what he did? And the answer is yes. He called you to be in his family, included in his family and his kingdom mission of reconciling all things to himself. You and I have been called into that mission. That is an incredible mission. He has called us and empowered us and will provide for us and protect us until we receive our full reward and our full inheritance. Because of this, there is absolutely no reason that you and I should ever fear anything in this world or ever have any anxiety towards the circumstances that come into our lives. God is with us and God is determined to finish the work that he began in us. And you and I have an amazingly high calling. This is not a small, insignificant calling. Partnering with God in bringing and reconciling the world to himself. Our task in his kingdom is greater than any other task on this planet, any other task. We have been called to be ambassadors for Christ, to represent Jesus' agenda, Jesus' interests here in this world, which wants to have nothing to do with Jesus. The King of Kings has called you. The King of Kings has called me. Make sure that you know that that is a big deal, and make sure that you have reported for duty, so to speak, right? Here I am, send me into this mission field. The second thing that Paul prays that we would know is what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. God wants us to know that we are filthy rich in him. We are rich in him. Why? Because we get him and he is everything, right? We get him, and he is everything. And if you got God, there is no lack whatsoever. We seek after so many things in this world, but once again, when we get a true glimpse of who Jesus is, everything should pale in comparison to that. 
When you really glimpse upon him and say, that's who you are, that's what you've done, everything in the world pales in comparison because he becomes our greatest desire. The psalmist in Psalm 63, one and three said this, listen, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. In verse three, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Did you hear that? Your steadfast love is better than life. And in Psalm 73, 25, the psalmist said this, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. Nothing. All of the wealth of this world, all of the riches of the world, all that the world has to, uh, to, to, to offer us, the psalmist says, garbage. I want Jesus. Let me ask you, is that how you feel? Is that your attitude? That's just like all this stuff is rubbish. It's junk. I need Jesus. If not, then we need to either begin or continue to pray that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened to see exactly who Jesus is, what he is capable of, and the fact that he has taken up residence in us. He lives in us. He empowers us for his kingdom work. We talked about this verse last week, Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, explaining the riches that are given to us. Paul says this, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you. Oh, to be able to fully understand what this means and how to understand how that would absolutely transform our lives. I urge you, um, I don't know what else to say, I, I just urge you to meditate on these monumental truths, uh, to beg God to enlighten your eyes uh, so that you can fully know these things. Um, so Paul uh, wants us uh, to know the hope that we have been called to. He wants us to know uh, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And if you think about it, the hope uh, kind of takes us back to the call of God to the beginning, right? When we first hoped in God, when we first uh, were called, um, that hope is there when we first began our journey with Christ. The inheritance takes us all the way to the end of it, right? Takes us all the way to the end where we get uh, that full inheritance where we're with him forever. And so if God's call looks back to the beginning and God's inheritance looks into the future, then surely God's power spans the interim in between the beginning of our journey to the climax of our journey uh, with Jesus. So how do we know? How do we know that God's call in our lives here on earth will result in us finally one day being uh, with him in glory? I mean, this life is rough, right? It, it is very brutal. The pull of sin is so strong. And I don't know about you, but I feel so weak, right? Uh, what will keep me from falling away completely? What will ensure that I am with Jesus one day? And the answer is and always is the power of God will. It is the power of God. What kind of power is it? That's what we want to answer today. What kind of power is it? And is it enough? Is it enough to do this? 
And we'll see as we look at what kind of power it is that it is enough. Uh, but what I wanted you to look at, first of all, is that there are four words that are used for power uh, in verses 18 and 19 in this text. They are power, working, great, and might. And each, if you look them up, each can technically be translated as power. And if you did that, what you would have is something like this. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the active power of his power power? Do you think that Paul is trying to communicate something to us? Yes, he is. He is trying to communicate that there is power available to us. In fact, he has already called it immeasurable power. You can't even measure it. Nothing on earth can measure it. And the phrase great might means the strength that has prevailed manifestly and demonstratively. It is evident that there is power. This is not some concept. You have heard about that. No, it's something that has been displayed in creation and in the continuing operation of the world. This is the type of power that we're talking about when we ask, what kind of power is this and is it enough? It is an immeasurable, manifestly demonstrative power. A power specifically, in Paul's words, that is demonstrated in the raising up of Jesus from the dead, of the seating of him in the heavenly places, and of the putting of everything under his feet, and of giving him as head over all things to the church. This is tremendously great power. Power, think about it. We talk about the resurrection like we really understand it, right? Like, oh yeah, Jesus rose from the dead. Think about a man dead for three days, no organ function whatsoever, no blood pumping through, no brain waves, nothing. Think about that. And then being raised back to life. That is power. It is power. There's a lot of amazing medical advances in this country. I'm amazed at them, to hear about them, but nobody can bring a dead person back to life. Nobody can preserve life indefinitely. You can't do it. Only God has that ability. And the same power also caused him to ascend into heaven and then put everything, every other competing power and enemy under his rule. That is amazing power. Is it enough, though? Is it enough, though, to save me from the wrath of God, to keep me saved, and then bring me home one day with, uh, to Jesus? Because that's what I want to know, right? Am I going to make it to the end? Am I going to see Jesus one day? And the answer is, you better believe it is enough. You better believe it is enough. Even in the midst of all of these great powers that are trying to pull us away from God, it is overwhelming power. Last week we mentioned that we cannot look at the beginning of the book of Ephesians without having the end of the book in mind. So I'm going to ask you to turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 through 12. Because there Paul talks about the spiritual warfare that you and I are in right now. We are surrounded by unseen forces, both angelic and demonic, 
And the demonic ones are saying, they're, they're, they're speaking lies into our lives. Uh, they're trying to hinder right now. They're trying to get you to think about the, 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 maybe the game that's going to be uh, played later on. The, the, your stomach is growling. You know, think about that, that you're hungry right now. And he's try, they're trying to get you to forget about these truths that we're talking about. And so Paul reminds us, and he says this after all these amazing things that he's taught him in the first six chapters. He says this, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's who we're fighting against. And if you look at those words, the rulers and the authorities and the powers, they're the same words that are used in Ephesians chapter 1. All of which Christ has been placed not just above, but far above, right? There is no competition. I hope you realize that, right? Jesus is not in an equal uh, struggle against uh, Satan and his forces. Like, I hope I win. I've lost a couple battles, but I'm, I'm hoping to come back and win this one. No, there is no competition. There is none whatsoever. He has been placed far above them, far above them. In fact, Psalm 110, verse 1, speaking of the Messiah who would come one day, says this, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. You get the imagery, right? Stepping on their necks. They are in submission to him. They have no power over him whatsoever. His footstool consists of his enemies. And so it's safe to say that his rulers and the powers uh, and the authorities are the demonic forces that are fighting against us, the world rulers of this present darkness, spiritual hosts and wickedness against which Paul is calling us to fight in Ephesians chapter 6. Here's the bottom line. Satan hates God and he hates us by extension. <laughs> He hates God and he hates us by extension. He wants to discourage us. He wants to lead us into despair. He wants to convince us that we are weak, that we are powerless, that we are insignificant, that we are unloved, that we're nobodies. And if he could, he would drag us into hell with him. If he could, he would drag us into hell with him, but he can't. But he can't because we have resurrection, ascension, authority submitting power working in and for us. Amen. Satan does not have a chance. He does not have a chance. The Bible bears this out. You don't have to turn to these passages. I'm going to read them. Just listen to them. You can reference them later. Uh, John in 1 John 4, 4 says this, little children, you are from God and have overcome them for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Remember Colossians 1:27 Christ is in you. Christ's resurrection power is in you. In John chapter 10 verses 27 through 29 Jesus said this, my sheep hear my voice. I love that that possessive my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will be able to snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me 
is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. Do you see that possessiveness? That, that possession, they're my sheep. And you see that the, that the we, this is a crazy thought too, we are a love gift from the father to the son. And the son takes this gift very seriously and the son will not let this gift go. There's a double protection there. Jude, in Jude 24, uh, yeah, 24 and 25 says this, now to him, who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. Amen. And then Peter in 1 Peter, 3, or 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5 says this, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. There's that, that, that resurrection power to an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. And then Paul, in Romans 8, 35, asked this very important question. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And the answer comes in verses 38 through 39. Listen to this list of things that cannot separate us. For I am sure, Paul says, that neither death nor life, that's everything, right? Nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why? Well, the answer is in verse 37. He says this, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Power, people, power that preserving power that is working in us, that power that raised Jesus from the dead and seated him in the heavenly places far above everything else. Finally, and we could mention many more passages, Paul in Philippians 1.6 says this, I am sure of this, I am convinced of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. In other words, referring back to what we said before, he has called you in the beginning and he will bring you to your full inheritance in the end. God will fulfill every single promise that he has ever made to you. If he can't, then he's not God and you should throw this away and stop coming to church and stop reading your Bible because it's all lies. He will fulfill every single promises, promise that he's made to us. Why? Because he loves us and he's called us into his family and his mission. Well, how will he fulfill every promise? Well, he'll do it with his immeasurable, mighty working power. You and I have all the power in the universe working for us and in us. I'm just gonna tell you what, in the last couple of weeks, uh, I have really struggled uh, 
to communicate these truths to you. After all, mere words just seem inadequate to explain the, these truths. Um, at the end of my preparation each week, I feel like I haven't even scratched the surface. We could literally, this is not a joke, we could literally be in these verses, this section, this prayer, for months and not even and plumb the depths of everything that is in there. Uh, plus the fact that, I'm just gonna tell you, you're not going to get this by just listening for 45 minutes on a Sunday morning. You're not gonna get it. You're not just gonna get it by listening for 45 minutes. Uh, if you're serious about living a powerful, purposeful, uh, victorious Christian life, and I hope that you are, then you must, we all must spend time reading these things and meditating on these things, begging God to help us get these things. I mean, to really, really get these things. Not so I can answer a question that someone's gonna ask me, but that we really get these things. Because to really get these things is absolutely life transforming. But as I've said before in this series, and we're talking about all these amazing things that are available to us. If you're not a Christian today, if you're not in Christ, then none of these things apply to you. None of them. None of them apply to you. There is no hope for you. There is no glorious inheritance uh, waiting for you. There is no power available to you in this life, none whatsoever. But there can be, right? There can be. All of the spiritual blessings listed in Ephesians 1 that we've gone over and the ones that we're gonna see in Ephesians 2 and 3 uh, and the ability to comprehend and appropriate them are available to everyone. They're available to you today. They come through believing in Jesus, through your faith in Jesus. Jesus, through me and everyone else who proclaims his word, is calling you right now into his family. That's what he's doing. He's calling you into his family. He's urging you to consider what I'm saying and to count the cost. Okay, there is a cost involved. Okay, that cost involves you denying yourself, you crucifying uh, the deeds of the flesh, you uh, dying to yourself and submitting complete control of your life to him. You have messed up your life enough already. And therefore, in your current, uh, current condition, you, uh, without Christ, you are not fit for heaven. You're just not. I don't care how, if you're gonna compare yourself to someone else and say, well, I'm better than them, it doesn't matter. God does not grade on a curve. God's standard is perfection. And none of us reach perfection except for one, and that was Jesus, who lived the life that we could not live and then died the death that we deserved. Only Jesus can make us fit for heaven. And here's the truth of the matter, that if you come to him, he will not cast you out. He will not turn you away. Paul in Romans chapter five, verse one said this, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, that's by believing, we have peace with God. God is no longer angry at us. He's no longer our enemy. He is on our side. And Romans 10, nine says this, but if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Not you might be, I'm open that it's true. No, you will be saved. And once you are saved from your sins because of your faith in Jesus, then you're made right with God and all the blessings that are listed in Ephesians one through three 
are yours. And the power of God will ensure that you endure to the end and receive your full inheritance. And don't forget, and I will always remind you, that God is your inheritance. God is your inheritance. You get God. And in his presence, there is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. And like I said before, if, you, if, if you've not come to Jesus, come right now. Uh, and whoever comes to him, he will not turn away. Oh, no, no, you're too bad. I didn't mean you. <laughs> Whoa, I, I've seen your life. There, no, it doesn't matter. Well, you don't understand what I've done. You don't know what I've done in secret. You, you, there's, there's things that uh, even the authorities don't know. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus is there. And Jesus says, come to me and I will make you right with God. He will not turn us away. As for those of us who are in Christ, who have been Christians maybe for a while, what do we do? Well, we're to continue to pursue our knowledge and understanding of Jesus, right? You never take a break from this. You, ne you never arrive. You know, there's never a point where, you know, uh, June 6th, yeah, 2014, I arrived. I was done. I didn't need to pursue Jesus anymore. Didn't need to pursue a knowledge of him anymore. No, we're always learning more. I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. Philippians chapter 3, 8 through 10. By, uh, this is a letter written uh, by Paul to the Philippian church. And by the time he had written this letter, uh, he had been a Christian for many years. He had planted uh, some churches and he had seen Jesus do some absolutely amazing things. But here Paul is not taking a break from his pursuit of Christ. He's not saying, hey, I've arrived. And in fact, in Philippians 3, he says that he hasn't arrived. Uh, he's pressing on. He knows Christ, but he wants to know Christ even more and even deeper. And so here's what he says. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of what? Knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes uh, from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And then I love this verse. I would encourage you to uh, mark it in your Bible. He says this, that I may know him, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his suffering, becoming like him in his death. Paul still had a tremendous desire to know Christ, to know Christ, not to know more facts about Christ, not to read more theology books about Christ. All of those are important and should be done, but to really, really know him. And I'm going to tell you many times throughout the week, uh, we need to put the theology books down and just commune with Jesus. We may need to even put a pause on the ministry just so that we can be with Jesus and sit at his feet and read his word and talk to him in prayer and sit quietly long enough to actually hear him speak to us as well, right? We're so busy, God, I'll give you 15 minutes, show up, or I'm out the door, right? And that's what we do, to sit long enough to hear and say, God, I'm, 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 I'm all ears right now. Teach me. I want to know you. I want to know how you operate in this world. 
and to meditate on these truths that we find in Ephesians and the rest of the Bible about who Jesus is and what he has done for us. To not let it just go in one ear and out the other. I want you to turn to Psalm chapter 1 because the psalmist addresses this. And I want you to listen to this and I want you to take this to heart. Psalm chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Uh, this is how uh, the, the book of Psalms is, uh, is, is introduced. This is the foundation for the rest of, uh, of this tremendous book, you know, all 150 chapters of it. There we see regarding the blessed person, he says this, his delight is in the law of the Lord, that's the word of God, and on his law he meditates day and night. How often is that? It's always, right? There's never a time that you're not meditating on the word of God. What's the result? If I meditate on the law of God day and night, if I'm, if I'm constantly meditating on the, on the law of God, on the word of God, what is the result? Well, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. There is stability, right? A tree planted by a rich source of nutrition that grows up strong and it's got fruit, which brings a blessing to everyone who comes around. They're not shaken. They are firm. They're, they're reading the word of God. They meditate on it and they sit alone and they're asking God questions like this that we should be asking too. What does it mean that Christ lives in me. What does that mean? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever taken the time to just dwell on that? What does it mean that Christ has taken up residence in me? Is it true? Does he really live in me? What does, what does that mean? How should that affect the way that I live and how I interact with other people, my neighbors and my, my, my fellow uh, classmates or co-workers? How should that affect the way that I live? Think about this. What does God really think of me? What does he really think about me? What does it mean that I am chosen to be his adopted child, welcomed into his family? What does that mean? What's the, what's the advantage of that? Have you ever taken time to think about that? We hear these things, but have we taken time to really dwell on them? And what are the implications of that for, for the life that I'm living here on earth right now? And how would really understanding these things, how would that, that transform the way that I think, how my mind works, how what I say in my day-to-day -day interactions with people, and how I treat those around me? And I just have to urge you and myself, take time to meditate on these things, to think about these things. I mean, do the mental work, that, that hard work of just meditating on these things. To say, God, I'm going to sit here. Remember Jacob wrestling. And he's like, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. God, I'm not going to let you go until you help me, until you give me understanding of these things because I'm tired of living a weak, impotent life. I want to tap into the power that's available to me. Take the time to do that this week. Well, next week, uh, Alan will be bringing us uh, the word of God. And then when, we, uh, when I come back, uh, we're going to be talking uh, about we're going to delve into Ephesians chapter 2. And here's what I want you to know. Just because we're done with Ephesians chapter 1, it doesn't mean that we forget that stuff, right? Um, those who are particularly in medical school, you can't say, hey, I finished that semester, 
Don't need to know that stuff anymore. Yeah, nope, you need to know that stuff, right? If you want a foundation for the next stuff that's coming. And so people, we should be reading and meditating, going back to Ephesians chapter one over and over and over again. Do that until you really get it, okay? Which will be until Jesus comes. And so we're, we're gonna continue to do that, all right? So that's my encouragement to you. Uh, don't ignore that, right? I am telling you to do that in the name of Jesus, right? Jesus is just like, yes, yes. So let me pray. Father, we thank and praise you for who you are. Um, our prayer is that we get this, Lord. And Paul's prayer, that was what his prayer was 2,000 years ago, and uh, that's what the prayer is, because knowing this uh, just brings with it power, power to, to stand when we don't think that we can stand, a power to say things that we never thought that we would say for fear of, of what might happen to us, Lord. And I just pray, God, that I would tap into this power, realize that it's there available to me and that we all would, Lord. And I just pray that this little tiny church uh, on this island, Lord, that we would have an amazing impact and that this year we would see hundreds of people come to know you, Lord, as we get out there and we proclaim you because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And so uh, remind us of these things, teach us these things, help us to live them out. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.